week as I think about, um, and for those of you who are visiting with us today, I know we have a number of folks visiting uh, for to witness uh, the baptisms that are taking place, and I want to welcome you to Crossroads Baptist Church, um, but today's my last Sunday as pastor, and uh, the Lord is directing me and my family to move to Missouri, and I won't go into all of the details for that right now, uh, but I can tell you this, this is a wonderful church. And uh, this is the Lord's church, and so even with the departure of one pastor, this is his church, the Chief Shepherd's church. And uh, if you're here today visiting from the community, don't don't automatically just say in your mind, well, the pastor's leaving, I don't want anything to do with that. This is a good church, and God is putting pieces in place for the future. And uh, I have no doubt in my mind about that. As a matter of fact, Doc Shoemaker will be making an announcement as one of the deacons this evening from the pulpit committee about uh, an initial provision that God is making for the church. And so you be praying about that and anticipating um, these coming days. And as surely as God is moving us away, he is right now working in the heart of another man to come be your pastor. Okay. And uh, so you, I've thought of a thousand things I want to say. And can I just begin by saying, keep looking unto Jesus. Keep looking unto Jesus. He never fails. So keep your eyes on Jesus, okay? That being said, Philippians chapter 1, and I want you to notice verse number 27. The Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome when he writes this wonderful letter to the church at Philippi that he had begun 10 years prior. We don't know how long Paul was in Philippi. We know how long he was in other places where he started churches But we don't know how long he was in Philippi. The Bible doesn't necessarily give us that information. But 10 years after he had started the church at Philippi, he's still keeping contact with them. He's now in prison in Rome, and he's writing a letter to encourage them, to thank them for financial support that they had given to him, and also to confront them and to challenge them in a few areas as well. He gets to the end of chapter 1, and I want you to notice verse number 27. Only... Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. That ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I want to preach a message this morning entitled Great Expectations. Now, if you're familiar with Charles Dickens' novel by this name... It has absolutely nothing to do with it, okay? But Paul is expressing, as he writes to this church that he loved dearly, even though it had been 10 years since he was with them in Philippi, it's a church that he still loves dearly, and you can see that, especially in the first part of the chapter and other parts of the book. And he's writing to them expressing expectations that he has for them, both as it relates to God's care for them, God's love for them, and expectations for them as they continue forward as a body of believers there in Philippi. Uh, I feel today's bittersweet. Uh, This morning I was changing Eliza's diaper and getting her dressed for church. 
And um, maybe some of you are thinking, Pastor, that is TMI. That's what dads of newborns should do. Amen? Okay. I was getting her dressed for church. After I got her dressed, I laid her on the bed, and uh, she had just been fed and began to really fuss. And I mean, work up, build up a head of steam. I mean, she was building up a cloud bank pretty quickly and uh, began to cry. And I was at a point where I could go back and I, so here she is crying on the bed, tears, you know, you've deserted me, you know, nobody loves me. And I went over and as soon as I picked her up, yesterday she was one month old, as soon as I picked her up, her countenance did a 180 just like that. She went from where to... And as I held that one month and one day old baby, a precious daughter that God's given to me in grace in my arms, I thought, she just illustrated exactly how I feel. Tears one minute, enjoy the next. Tears as I think about God parting our ways. But joy as I look back over all that God has done in the past 13 years and what he's going to keep doing on this wonderful plot of land and excited for the future and having hope last night in men's prayer meeting and I've been praying this throughout the night as well that God would infuse the services today with hope hope and as I think about great expectations for the future And especially here in this verse as it relates to Paul expressing his expectations for these believers in the church at Philippi, even in his absence, I think about the fact that we have expectations because we have hope. And I want you to remember that your hope is not just a what, your hope is a who. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our hope is in a person. And so any temporary circumstance, any sadness is just that, temporary. A pastor friend of mine texted me this morning, and he said this, spiritual relationships are eternal. They're eternal. And goodbyes for believers are only temporary because there's going to be an eternal hello on the other side. And so I want us to keep these things in mind. You say, Pastor, are you trying to cheer us all up? I'm trying to do this for me too, okay? All right. Great expectations. The importance of understanding biblical expectations that God has for us, uh, even as we part ways. And by the way, these expectations that I'm going to share just briefly out of this verse are expectations that you can have of me too, even as I depart. If you're here today and you've trusted Christ as Savior, you are a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. Vance Havner, I read this quote recently. He said, we often get things confused. If you're a child of God, you are not an earthly citizen on your way to heaven. You are a heavenly citizen on an earthly pilgrimage back home to heaven. And that's the perspective we need this morning. In the meantime, while we go forward in our earthly pilgrimages, we must remember that we are heavenly citizens. And because of that, there are expectations 
that we can legitimately have for each other, as Paul expresses here. As I think about expectations, I'm reminded of a humorous story that took place in the early days of the church when we were over in the rented uh, conference center. And Elena and Kylie Sullivan were little toddlers, and Mark and Becky had gotten uh, Kylie dressed up in a cute little Sunday dress that morning. Jenny and I had gotten Elena dressed up in a cute little Sunday dress. And uh, even as I think about Mark and I think about Jenny, the thought flies through my mind where they are and what they're experiencing right now. In heaven, in the presence of the Lord. But anyway, Kathy Maldiner was watching nursery that morning, and she talked about the little girls being in the nursery with their pretty little frilly Sunday dresses on. And they were climbing up on a chair and taking turns jumping off the chair. And as they did, their dresses would do like a, in, an inverted parachute, you know. And then they were giggling, and Kathy said to the little girls, Now, remember, you need to act like ladies, Ladies don't jump off chairs and dresses, right? You need to act like... And one of the little girls, I don't know if Kathy remembers which one it was, looked at her and said, but we're not ladies yet. (laughs) There are expectations, aren't there? Expectations. And the girls were thinking, well, we shouldn't have to live by those expectations yet. But I want to leave us... Just briefly, and I don't plan on being long. I know those are famous last words. But with, with three different expectations. If you are a, a, a living the life of a citizen of heaven in an earthly pilgrimage on your way home, there are several expectations that Paul highlights in this verse, and I want to leave us with them this morning. The first is this. For the life of a citizen of heaven... Sojourning on earth. Well, let me say this first. I want you to notice something. Verse number 27. I should have mentioned this in the, conver- in the, in the introduction. Only let your... What's the word? Conversation. Okay, the word conversation it does not mean what... what if, if Marco and I were having a conversation. That's not what this word means. This word means the life of a citizen. Okay. Uh, in other words, it was, it was a word that would have had great significance to the people of Philippi. The, the word described someone who was a citizen of a particular region or country, and because of that, there were mannerisms that were expected of them that would describe them. So the big question is, okay, what citizenship or life of citizenship or conversation is Paul talking about? Is he talking to these Philippians about their earthly citizenship? And they would have had a a frame of reference for this because the city of Philippi was a Roman colony. And in those days, uh, when a battle or a war had been won with the Roman Empire, instead of bringing all their soldiers home, they would literally give them a city and they would retire all of those successful soldiers there and as a reward they would be given land and they would be given wealth out of the spoils of war. And then, in this case, 800 miles west, or pardon me, east of Rome, the emperor had said, Philippi is going to belong to these retired Roman soldiers And as my token of their appreciation, not only am I going to give them spoils of war, not only am I going to give them land, but they will enjoy, even though they're not in Rome, 
they will enjoy all of the privileges and rights of Roman citizenship even though they're actually not in Rome. That's the idea of this word. Now, I personally don't believe Paul is using this word to refer to earthly citizenship because if you look at chapter number 3 and verse number 20, Paul uses the same word. The King James Version translators use the same English word, same original word. Notice Philippians 3 and verse number 20. For our, what's the word? Conversation, our life as a citizen, okay, is where? Paul's not talking about earthly citizenship. He's talking about heavenly citizenship. And by the way, the picture fits. If you are a child of God, you are a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, better than and more than any earthly citizenship that you have. And here's the blessing of it. Even though we're not there yet, we have the privilege and the blessing of enjoying all the rights and all the abundance of the heavenly kingdom, even here on earth, though we're not there yet. Okay, that's the idea. And so Paul says, now live like it. Live like it. Okay, now, the, the, in first century Rome, many times these Philippians, and you can see this when you look at the historical context in Acts chapter number 16 for the starting of the church at Philippi, these people were pretty full of themselves in Philippi. We have all the rights and the privileges of Roman citizenship, and if we want to whip a guy, we're going to do it. And they did even though it violated Roman law in another area. They did it. Go back and read Acts 16. So that's not the attitude Paul would have us to model. Rather, there should be a joy and a gratitude and a certainty that describes our lives. If you know you're going to heaven, in the mind of God, you're as good as already there, and we should live in the certainty and the joy of that. Because of that, there's some expectations. And so I want you to notice the first one. Paul says this. Only let your, and, and let me insert this. I'm not doing any injustice to the text, okay? The word conversation here, another way of saying it is this. Only let your life as a citizen of heaven, okay, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, we don't use the word becometh nowadays either, but it's the idea. Have you ever heard somebody say, you know, that piece of jewelry is very becoming to that lady? Okay, maybe you've heard that. That dress or that suit is very becoming to that man's skin color. I don't hear a lot of that kind of conversation going on, but okay, I'm trying to help you understand this word. Okay, only let your life as a citizen of heaven. Now, the word only is interesting as well because Paul has just finished in the first 26 verses talking about the uncertainty of his future. He said, I'm in a straight betwixt too, having a desire to depart and be with the Lord Jesus, which is far better. Hey, if I get martyred, that's wonderful. I'm going to heaven. But it's needful, Paul said, for me to stay behind for a little while, to abide in the flesh, because God's got some things he wants to use me to still do in your life. And so he basically says this, whether heaven or here, I'm just going to pursue Christ. I'm going to follow Christ. And so there's, from a human perspective, he's got a pretty good idea. He's going to be released. And his hope is that he's going to get a chance to come to Philippi and see these believers at this church that he started. That's his desire. And this word only that he uses to begin verse number 27, uh, we could say it this way. In the meantime, okay, in the meantime, let your life as a citizen of heaven be as it becometh the gospel. 
Or we could say it this way, whatever happens, whether I come or don't come, let your life as a citizen of heaven be as it becometh the gospel. And it leads to the first aspect of, a, of, a, of an expectation that I want to mention. And that is this. The life of a citizen of heaven, while sojourning on earth, number one, should be a life that complements the gospel of Christ. A life that complements. I get that from the word becometh. It carries with it the idea of making attractive. Uh, it is the idea of matching. In other words, let your life as a professed citizen of heaven match up with what we know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. Let your life be an accurate reflection of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. Let me just tell you something. There's a lot of bad news in this old world. And some of it's true. But none of it trumps the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay. And, and I'm, I'm grieved sometimes that Christians, we kind of have a draw towards the bad news side too. Let me tell you something. We've got the best news ever. I mean, you go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And when man fell in the garden... Of, of Eden and sin entered the world and our first parents said no to God and yes to self and were plunged into spiritual death and ultimate physical death, God was not outdone. And from the very beginning, he gave the promise of the coming seed of woman, the Lord Jesus Christ, that prophecy would tell of his coming and through the seed line of woman and a man named Abraham and his descendants, the nation of Israel, all the way to the little town of Bethlehem, a manger, where God, the second person of the Trinity, would put on a robe of human flesh and come to earth as our lamb, the sin-bearing substitute. And pay the ultimate, the only price that would satisfy God for the payment of sin. All of that. And that Christ died and was buried and raised again to pay for your sin debt and mine. Listen, that fact alone right there should make every born again child of God say, I want to stay as far away from sin as I can. If the price of sin is the death of the Lord Jesus on a cross, I don't want to find ways to justify sin. And it should... Just draw out our hearts in love. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. And so a life that matches, a life that accurately reflects that, a life that fits the gospel. As a citizen of heaven, walking on this earthly pilgrimage, the first expectation that Paul says, listen, Whenever I get there or in the meantime, this is what needs to characterize your life. Your life needs to fit. As a citizen of heaven, it needs to fit the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In April, in order to keep miles off that suburban that the Lord provided for us, I bought that Toyota Camry, 2011 Toyota Camry. The first service I drove that Camry to church, one of the little girls in the church who notices these kinds of things, came up to me and uh, all she had ever seen from the time she was just a little, little one, all she'd ever seen is Pastor Dietrich driving a big Suburban. And the first Sunday I come pulling in here in that doinker little Camry, she came up to me and she said, by the way, that Camry gets really good gas mileage. 
I've kept like 10 or 12,000 miles off the Suburban just since April. It's been a tremendously economical, wise choice. But she came up to me and she said, Pastor, she's 10 years old, 11 years old. She said, Pastor, that Camry in you just doesn't fit. (laughs) Do you get it? Your life as a citizen of heaven on this earthly pilgrimage needs to complement the gospel of Jesus Christ. It needs to fit. You and I are walking testimonies of the good news of Jesus Christ. If God saved us only to take us to heaven, why are we still here? He left us here to be a walking display of what His grace can do for the needy world we're living in. Secondly, the life of the citizen of heaven... Sojourning on earth, not only does it need to be a life that complements the gospel of Jesus Christ, or as Paul says, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, but I want you to notice, secondly, that it needs to be a life that the report of that life, the testimony of that life, carries over the miles. Notice what Paul says. Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else be what? absent. Now, when Paul writes this, he's in Rome in prison. And this kind of struck me interesting this morning. Don't worry, I'm not one of those, ooh, there's a message there, something like that. Okay. But if you, if you do a search, okay, from Rome to Philippi, where Paul is writing this letter, it was 1,312 kilometers as the crow flies. You break that down and it's just over 800 miles. And just last week, out of curiosity, I was plotting our trip out to the Midwest. And from here to where we're going to be living is just over 800 miles. Don't worry, I don't think there's anything mysterious there or anything like that. But the life that is a citizen of heaven, as it is on this earthly pilgrimage, a second expectation is that when that life is reported or heard of, That testimony needs to carry over the miles. And and Paul said, listen, whether I'm there and hear directly from you what God is doing in your life and how you're continuing forward for Christ and how you're shining as a light in the world as he'll talk about in chapter number 2, or whether I'm not able to get there and I'm absent and I hear the report from others, Paul said, listen, the expectation is this, is that it's a good report. A good report. And I want you to be able to hear the same about me and what God has for our future. Is there uncertainty about the future of this church from a human perspective? Is there uncertainty about our future? Yes, there is, but I want you to understand something. There is no uncertainty about the future in heaven right now. God knows. He knows. And so we continue forward faithfully so that the testimony is loud and clear so that Paul says, when I hear whether I'm right there with you or absent, the testimony of your life as a citizen of heaven, the report of it carries loud and clear over the miles. I read a book this past week that was a a series of brief chapters of meditations and observations from evangelist Vance Havner. Anybody ever heard the name Vance Havner before? One wonderful mark in his favor is he was a North Carolinian. Came right here from this state. Um, 
when he was on his sick bed, Billy Graham wrote him a letter and said, we're so sorry you're sick, we can't wait for you to get better because all the rest of us preachers need you preaching so we can get good preaching material for our own messages. There was just a, a, a depth, an earthiness. A, 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 the, man, the man was a man who knew how to be alone with God and how to, to condense things. Uh, anyway, he, in one of his observations, told the story. He was a bird watcher, and that's how he would relax. And he told the story, of, uh, told about a bird called the kinglet warbler. Has anybody ever heard of the kinglet warbler? The the. It is the second, second only to the hummingbird. It's the smallest bird in the bird world. And yet has a very distinct call as I understand it. And it's very loud. For the size bird that it is, it can be heard at long distances. And Vance Havner said that proportionally, ornithologists, I think is what you call people who study birds, okay, had figured that proportionately with the size larynx of the, the kinglet warbler, the size of its body and the size of its larynx, if we as humans had proportionately the same size voice box as the kinglet warbler, warbler in proportion our body, we could carry on casual conversations with each other at the distance of a mile. You say, wow, I really learned something at church today. But you know what? And I've told you this before from my visit to the Sahara Desert. The light of a single candle is visible 12 miles distance on a clear night in the Sahara Desert. And an expectation that Paul said, listen, listen, in your life as a citizen of heaven, on this earthly sojourn, on your way home, your way home to heaven, Make sure your life complements the gospel of Christ, that it accurately reflects it, that it matches it, that it fits it. Make sure, number two, that the report of your life carries over the miles. I'm excited for what I'm going to get to hear about Crossroads Baptist Church in the future. And I pray about that. And Paul said the same to the church at Philippi. He said, listen, I want to hear good things. But thirdly, notice what Paul says in the remainder of the verse. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. The word affairs talks about everything concerning their life. Not just three times a week when they come together at church, but everything about their lives. That I may hear of your affairs. Notice this. Here's the third expectation that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. The third expectation is this, is as a citizen in the life of the citizen of heaven on this earthly sojourn, it should be a life number three. Now I want you to get this, that completes the team of the local church. That completes the team of the local church. Every member matters. Every part matters. Every piece matters. Every one of you matters. And as a citizen of heaven on your way home, as you sojourn on this earth, your life, the expectation is a life that completes the team of the local church. Paul says he desires for them or expects that they stand fast. It's the idea of holding your ground. 
It's a military term. That you've been given a piece of land to hold, stand fast, endure. And notice this, in one spirit. This talks about the, the, the motivation that drives, the cause that drives. And let me tell you something. Of all the causes in this world, we have the greatest cause. And it is the cause of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's reported that during World War II, Adolf Hitler said of the American GI that if he had 10,000 American GIs, the fighting machine that they were, he said, if I had 10,000 of them, I could conquer the world. He actually is wrong. Well, he was wrong and still is. Dead wrong. Dead wrong. Okay. Literally dead wrong. Okay. I searched the numbers on this. During World War II, there were approximately 16 million enlisted and commissioned military men that fought for our nation. 291,000 of them gave their lives. And yet Hitler, think of the proportion, 16 million, almost 300,000. And Hitler observed that if he had 10,000, just 10,000, he could conquer the world. And yet he's dead wrong. You know why? Because no American GI would have ever fought to defend Nazism. There was a motivating ideal or spirit that united and compelled our nation in that conflict. A spirit. And, and that, that's the idea here. These American GIs were motivated by the cause of liberty and freedom. But let me tell you something. As soldiers in the Lord's army and sons of God and in the family of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are motivated by a freedom that far exceeds any earthly freedom. And it is eternal freedom and eternal liberty that only Christ can give. That's our cause. And the spirit of that. And so Paul says... Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind. It's a word that in other passages is translated soul. It's also in other passages of the scripture used to define the whole person. And essentially what Paul is saying here is this. Stand fast with one spirit, with one mind, literally as a single individual. He's talking to a local church. As one whole person. He's identifying a local church as a whole person, get this, who has the Lord Jesus Christ as its head. One mind, thinking, motivated, driven by the same things as a whole person with one spirit. And then notice this, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Striving together with this one spirit and one mind striving together is the idea. It literally are two words put together, a preposition that means together with. And then the Greek word athleto, from which we get our word athlete. That's the idea of striving together here. It's talking about a team effort. Together as a team. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. The question has been, what does he mean by the faith of the gospel? Is he talking about the faith objectively in the sense of the body of Bible doctrine? 
I would say yes. We need to, as a church and as believers, stand fast and strive together to defend and to advance the faith of the gospel. The reality of the first 11 books of the Bible, Genesis. The reality of the fallenness of man. The reality of the Lord Jesus Christ as the substitutionary atonement for our sins. The reality of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reality of the inspired and errant infallibility of the book that you hold in your lap this morning. Okay. The, the, the imminency and the reality of the fact that Jesus could come at any time. Okay? And I ask you, if you're here this morning, are you ready? If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as Savior, you're not ready for Him to come. But I'm glad to tell you, in just a few minutes, you can have the opportunity to know Christ as Savior. Okay. Before you leave today, nothing would thrill us more than to take you to a private place, take the Scriptures, and show you I can become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ today. So that when He does come, you're ready. All of those things, that's the faith of the gospel, the good news of God. But then there are also others who've said, or is he looking at it more subjectively? And that is this, that a church needs to be striving together to help point others to faith in Christ. And you know what I say? Objective, subjective, yes. Yes. A church that stands for Bible doctrine, that strives together for the faith once delivered to the saints, and a church that strives together to bring as many people as it possibly can to faith in Jesus Christ. They both fit. Okay. But what does it call for? It calls for those who know Christ as Savior, those who are citizens of the heavenly kingdom, sojourning on earth on their way to their eternal home. It calls for them to live a life that completes the team of the local church. Can I say this? Nobody here this morning is without a place in the plan that God has for Crossroads Baptist Church. Okay. I'll close with just two thoughts. And it's actually five minutes till noon. Years ago, a reading was done that said this, for loss of a nail... The shoe was lost, the horseshoe. For loss of the horseshoe, the rider was lost. For loss of the rider, the message was lost. For loss of the message, the battle was lost. For loss of the battle, the war was lost. But I want to say this. Can I make it positive? A nail holding a horseshoe in place allows that rider to get to his destination with the vital message that brings victory in the battle and ultimately in the war. And let me just, for our hope and expectation this morning, remind you that we already have victory in Jesus Christ. As we colloquially say, I've read the last chapter and we win. 